Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Okay, hi there. So, welcome to today's edition of Explaining History uh, podcast. Um, Today we're going to be talking about the February Revolution in Russia. Um, And before we get into it, um, I think there's just a a few basic things to be said on the subject. The difference between the February Revolution in 1917 and the October Revolution in 1917 is that the February Revolution is not pre-planned, really, in any way. Um, and it's not really led by any one political party, at least not at first. Um, it's um, a spontaneous um, people's revolution. And really, um, the people who begin the February Revolution aren't even thinking in terms of revolution at all. It starts out as a bre- bread protest on the 23rd of February, 1917. Um the food shortages that I talked about in the last podcast, uh, when we talked about World War One, um, really begin to bite um, in late 1916 to early 1917. There has been a very, very bitterly cold winter. And by the 19th of February, the government announces that they may have to start rationing in March. Um, and this is more than the public anger it can tolerate at the time. On the 23rd, frustration and anger at the long uh, queues for bread um, and at the empty shops that used to be full of all sorts of nice things, such as bread and cake and pie and sausage and all those sorts of things. Um, The public anger boils over, uh, and it's women. uh, And it just so happens, by coincidence, that it's uh, um, um, International Women's Day on February the 23rd. Uh, but this is not necessarily related. This wasn't, again, as I said, it's not a political protest. Um, but it happens it's International Women's Day, and it is the, the women queuing up for bread who eventually um, demand that their husbands, many of whom work at the giant Putilov steelworks, um, come out on strike with them. Um, the um, beginnings of the February Revolution can be seen on the 23rd as the protesters um, begin to clash with police. By uh, about lunchtime, um, some 100,000 workers have downed tools uh, and are on the streets. Um, and at this point, there's no suggestion uh, on the part of the authorities that they appear or believe that they have lost control at all. Um, the... Attack by the um, 
the Tsar's police, um, who um, use horsewhips uh, and the flats of their sabres against protesters, only serve to radicalise the protest. So very quickly we go from a protest about food to the focus of the protest being about the Tsarist regime. And on that morning, we start to see the very first signs that the army, particularly the Cossacks, who are the, the Tsar's cavalry, are becoming progressively unwilling to um, attack the crowds. There are far too many of them, for starters. And also, um, there's a, a, a set of memories of 1905 fresh amongst the troops and also a sense that really it is um, you know, a very morally questionable and deeply unpatriotic thing to do. On the 24th and the 25th, um, the crowds come out again um, and they have swelled to 150 to 200,000 um, and they're becoming emboldened. The, when they start to realise that the police and the army can't really do anything and even the thousands of new troops that have been drafted into Petrograd, they can't really do anything, it gives them an awful lot of confidence. A lot of the workers cross into the wealthier districts of Petrograd, across the Nevsky Bridge, um, and they're looking to loot. Um, the, many of them have been have woken up that morning and listened to socialist agitators who, um, whilst not really being uh, part of the Bolshevik party, uh, in fact very, very, very few Bolsheviks are present at the time, um, nonetheless, there are um, people from all manner of uh, radical fringe parties trying to politicise and radicalise the workers. Though I, I would imagine a great many of the workers were thinking of their food shortages and uh, under the uh, assumption, often correct, that the, the rich districts and their shops had lots of, good, lots of easy pickings. On Sunday the 25th, um, an entirely different tone can be heard. Um, there's a virtual general strike, and the banners are now not saying, give us bread, but down with the Tsar. Red flags can be seen unfurled all over Petrograd, um, and the clashes with the police become progressively more frequent and more violent. The... Um, the officers in Cossack regiments were starting to find that it was increasingly difficult to get men to obey their orders. And they knew that very serious orders were inevitably on the way. Um, in one incident, perhaps an apocryphal tale, on the Nevsky Prospect, the main boulevard through Petrograd, uh, the uh, Cossacks came up against um, a crowd of workers and were supposedly going to fire on them. But the intervention of a young girl who walked out between the two groups and presented the commanding officer of the Cossacks with a bouquet of roses, um, which he gratefully accepted with a smile, um, led to the, the workers referring to the, the Cossacks as comrade Cossacks, which gives us a clear idea as to, to whose side they're now on. The Tsar's Council of Ministers, at every hand's turn in this process, believed that moderation was the key to calming the situation down, um, and that they held back from open confrontation with the crowds, because that was just the, the spark that full, a full revolutionary outbreak needed. 
Um, unfortunately, the Tsar himself was not really listening to this advice. In a way, he was uh, a victim of the um, uh, beliefs of his ministers, who were consistently playing down the seriousness of what was happening. Um, the, they suspected that if they gave him a full picture, then he would order a massacre. Um, the Tsar himself was at Mogilev, which was in Belarusia and several hundred miles away from uh, Petrograd, and had little knowledge uh, of the full situation of uh, the, uh, the, the, the protests. It's an interesting point um, that what kind of modern government, if we can call it modern, has this lack of communication? And the, uh, the answer is that, well, the Tsar's kind, that the lack of communication, the lack of the ability of the Tsar to know something so fundamental as this, really is an indicator of the regime's weakness. On Sunday morning, the inevitable happens and shooting begins. Um, the, the worst incident um, was by a training detachment of the Volinsky Regiment, who fired into a crowd, um, these were young inexperienced soldiers, they fired into a crowd of workers, um, killing 50. And this was really, the, the uh, in the minds of the workers of Petrograd, the second Bloody Sunday. And um, this is the, the turning point um, for the revolution. This is where um, you can actually start talking of it uh, as a revolution, not a series of protests. This is where the workers' determination, a collective determination to rid themselves of the Tsar once and for all, begins. Um, and the fact that the, uh, the orders appear to have come from the Tsar to fire on the people, whether they did or they didn't, is immaterial. The, the, the perception is that, that they did, uh, means that the Tsar finally at last is viewed, as he had been in 1905, as an enemy of the Russian people. Many of the young cadets uh, and soldiers, horrified by what they had done, uh, examined their consciences on the Sunday. Um, by Monday, had moved over to the side of the people. Um, further repression had been ordered, um, and they were unwilling to carry these orders out. Uh, many of them shot their officers, um, and by Monday, the revolution is becoming armed and militarised. And again, this is um, a, a fundamental change in, in the revolution um, that made it more serious and more dangerous than the Tsar in 1905. Because once you have the army um, equipped and armed and arming the people, that's when you really have lost control. And the situation becomes worse for the Tsar's government when the arsenal in Petrograd, um, at the Petrograd garrison, is overcome by soldiers and workers who take away a haul of 40,000 rifles and 30,000 uh, revolvers. Um, and then when they take over some of the arms factories in Petrograd, another 100,000 guns fall into the hands of the people. And this presents um, the, um, the new growing revolution with an, an interesting angle in that now the general populace in Petrograd is armed they don't, they're not necessarily going to do um, all the things uh, 
uh, or it's not necessary that all the things they're going to do are going to be dedicated towards the overthrow of the Tsar. Um, a great deal of crime and violence breaks out in Petrograd, um, and there's a great deal of arbitrary murder and score settling now that people are armed. The nobles in particular in Petrograd during the February Revolution were in great danger. Um, small squads of soldiers who had mutinied and who had realised that there was no law or authority to control them marched around and, um, and dispensed their own kind of revolutionary justice. They, um, without any authority from any government, because there isn't one, um, arrested nobles, looted their houses, um, came to take any guns that they could find. There seems to be particular interest in finding firearms of any nature. Um, and um, would, in some times, take pot shots at wealthy-looking people walking down the street. Anyone wealthy was now translated into being this idea of being an enemy. Um, they were, they were known, the, the, the corruption of the word bourgeois was bourgeois, um, which, and if you're bourgeois, then that meant you were enemy. You don't have to have read Karl Marx, you don't have to have read Lenin, you don't have to have any kind of understanding of any kind of politics at all to know that wealthy means enemy. And, it all, and the idea of the wealthy was also uh, mixed up with the, uh, with the idea of other enemies such as the Germans or in peasant Russia the Jews, uh, who were obviously the, um, the focus of much of the, the hatred of the peasantry a lot of the time. Something worth noting is that every political party in Russia uh, is taken by surprise by the revolution, um, particularly the Bolshevik party, because the majority of Bolsheviks are not in Russia at the time. Leon Trotsky is in New York, Lenin and most of the Bolsheviks are in Switzerland, and the only Bolsheviks that are in Russia are people like Stalin, who is in exile in Siberia. Um, Lenin had famously said a couple of months before the revolution uh, to um, uh, a gathering of young revolutionaries in Switzerland that really it would be them who would carry the torch of revolution onwards and it was unlikely to happen in his lifetime. Lenin was a, a famous hyper... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Chondriac and was convinced that uh, he was going to die um, within the next few years. In fact, he does, but for entirely different reasons. Um, and he had no idea that literally within eight or nine weeks, the revolution he dreamt of for most of his life would have arrived. And the two political um, bodies that emerged from the February Revolution are the Provisional Government and the Petrograd Soviet. Now, this is something of a, 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 a difficult area for many students who study um, the Russian Revolution. Why has Russia suddenly got two governments? Um, well, on one hand, the provisional government is a um, really a kind of a, a, a meeting of the, the Duma that refuses to dissolve itself on the Tsar's request during World War One. These are the ministers that, despite the Tsar's demands, just don't go away. Um, and on the other hand, the um, Petrograd Soviet is, um, as we know, Soviet means council or committee, and the Petrograd Soviet is a congress of all the deputies um, of all the small Soviets across Petrograd. So every factory and army regiment and any institution that elects itself a Soviet to decide what to do with itself sends a deputy, one of its members, to a meeting of all the Soviets um, in the Taurid Palace. Now, in the, in the right wing of the Taurid Palace sits the... Um, the provisional government, and in the left wing sits the Petrograd Soviet. And we have these two bodies. The uh, Petrograd Soviet has a, a great air of legitimacy because people have voted. Uh, men in army regiments have voted for their deputy to go to the uh, Petrograd Soviet, as have people in factories. Um, and they can claim that it is representative of the majority of ordinary people across the city. Whereas the uh, provisional government hasn't got that. The provisional government hasn't been elected by anybody. It's kind of appointed itself. Um, it is um, noticeably full of um, gentry and nobles. And um, it doesn't really appear to have any kind of mandate to rule. But the point is that it doesn't want to. The Petrograd, so the provisional government, I beg your pardon, the provisional government isn't there really to rule in the long term, hence the title provisional. All the provisional government is, to, is there to do is to be a caretaker government that will um, hold things together, hold the country together, until there is a general election to decide the future government of the country. Now this presents the um, this, the the, um, the country with a number of, of key problems. Um, major issues such as the war, the land question, um, and um, the the future direction of Russia in general can't really be decided by a government that hasn't got any mandate. But they must be decided. 
and the Petrograd Soviet has uh, a number of demands to make of the provisional government before it will offer it its support. You've got to bear in mind that the Petrograd Soviet not only control all the soldiers and sailors in Petrograd, but they also control the post office, the electricity generation, um, they control all the major industry, the railways, they control the ports and the allowing the food in and out of the city. What anything useful they've got. So they demand an immediate amnesty for all political prisoners. So even if they didn't want to have to invite the Bolsheviks back into the country or let them out of jail, now the provisional government has to do it. They demand an immediate granting for freedom of speech, press and assembly. So Bolshevik newspapers can now go into print. The, uh, the abolition of all restrictions based on class, religion and nationality. Uh, the immediate preparations for the, for the creation of a constituent assembly elected on, a, um, uh, on, on universal suffrage. Um, the abolition of uh, police bodies. So all, all the police force, all the uh, people who, to police the peasants in the countryside and to police uh, the cities are now abolished. Um, whilst these are perhaps not particularly pleasant people, they're essential to keeping the state secure. Um, and in, in their place, a people's militia with elected officers responsible for the organs of local self to the, to the organs of local self-government must be created. So a kind of a revolutionary police force must be created instead, um, one that perhaps isn't going to look upon serving the provisional government uh, very favourably. Um, and the guarantee that military units having taken place in the revolution would neither be disarmed nor sent to the front. So now soldiers will not be sent back to the front to fight, but they will be allowed to hang on to their guns and they will be allowed to dominate the streets of Petrograd. Again, not a very healthy environment for the provisional government to thrive in. Now here is a little extract from the Tsar's diary uh, on the 26th of February 1917. It's interesting, um, and think about, cast your minds back to what was happening on the 26th of February 1917. Here he is at Mogilev, um, he writes, At 10 o'clock I went to Mass. The reports were on time. There were many people at breakfast, including all the foreigners. I wrote to Alex, his wife, and went for a walk near the chapel uh, by the Bobrisky Road. The weather was fine and frosty. After tea, I read and talked with Senator Trigubov uh, at dinner. Played dominoes in the evening. What's wrong with this picture? Well, the thing that's immediately wrong with it is he doesn't mention that there is a revolution in his capital city and his government is on the edge at all. Um... In some ways, I mean, you could argue that he doesn't—he wasn't being fully informed of the facts, but he knew—he knew enough. Um, he had spent his time at during the war at this forward command or stavka, um, and not very much had happened there. He had spent much of his time uh, playing dominoes, uh, reading books going for walks and having chats with people, but nothing, for, not very much had been done to actually prosecute the war against Germany. And certainly when the revolution breaks out, even less is done to, to try to kind of comprehend what's going on. 
Um, obviously, the death of Rasputin had um, uh, had a profound effect on Nicholas and forced him to become this kind of um, even more quiet, introspective character who had completely lost control of events. The following day, when the Tsar hears that a mutiny has broken out in Petrograd, um, he comes up with a, a, a rather limited plan to send troops to the capital to uh, put down the mutiny and to establish a, a martial law there. Um, he himself decides that he's going to try to get back to the capital. Um, however, it is increasingly unlikely that this is going to happen. Uh, his generals know for a fact that the men can't be trusted, A, to fire on other soldiers, which is uh, never a popular choice for soldiers to make, um, and, and B, not to become part of the revolution. They convince the Tsar that really stepping down is the only thing he can possibly do, and going back to the capital will simply endanger his life. Um, he tries to get back there, uh, but never, never arrives. Um, his train winds up in the small town of Pskov, um, where he's met by his senior commanders, General Alexeyev, General Ruski, um, who uh, convince him, really, that the, the end is nigh. And it is the Tsar's um, chief of staff, his um, top general, Alexeyev, who really uh, puts the kibosh on any chance of a counter-revolution. Um, he orders the army not to advance anymore. Um, and, and it's really the decision of the generals at the end of the day is unanimous in convincing the Tsar that he can't go on, that he must resign uh, and that he must abdicate. Um, the Tsar... Um, uh, receives telegrams from all the other front commanders agreeing the same thing, that there is nothing that else that can be done, nothing else that could possibly placate the crowds, um, and any other decision would probably result in a civil war in Russia whilst also trying to fight uh, the Germans. Um, the Tsar um, writes into his abdication speech, uh, into his, ab his declaration of, of abdication, um, that his haemophiliac son, Alexei, will not inherit the throne uh, because obviously he's not well enough to do that. Um, and when the um, job is offered to Grand Duke Mikhail, the Tsar's brother, he wisely turns it down as well, fearing for his personal safety. So it is with Mikhail, really, that the um, the the Romanov line, uh, after just over three hundred years, three hundred and four years, um, ends, um, leaving Russia with a an, an interesting question: What is to come next? How is Russia to be run? Who is to run it? Um, and it is at this very point that Lenin is um, working out how best to get back to Russia to help answer some of those key questions. As soon as um, it was clear that the Tsar had abdicated and the revolution in Petrograd had been successful, that's the cue for the rest of the country to go into revolt. Um, and the, the information to the rest of the country becomes readily available. 
and in cities really from the Baltic all the way through to the Pacific, symbols of Tsarism are smashed and um, the um, Tsarist uh, administrators and governors are, become under siege uh, and are in fear of their lives. Um, and this is a, in these towns and cities, the revolution appears to be a bit more organised um, and hasn't just happened spontaneously. Um, and so um, the removal of the Tsar uh, leads to a very quick collapse of the, the, the whole concept of Tsarism and the whole concept of autocracy across Russia. Um, the policemen who had um, enforced the Tsar's rule Far more so than the soldiers. The soldiers are seen as, as we said, comrade Cossacks for the most part. Um, but it's the policemen who have uh, forced the Tsar's rule very quickly have to change their appearance, hide their uniforms, um, dress up as civilians and go on the run. And many are brutally murdered. Um, anyway, that concludes our little talk about the um, February Revolution. I'm going to carry on with this theme and talk about um, the crises of the provisional government between um, uh, March and October next time. Um, but if obviously you want to know a bit more about this, you can contact me at www.explaininghistory.com. You can sign up for our newsletter, um, download uh, one or other of our history ebooks on the subject of Russia. Um, and uh, become part of the dialogue. Um, let me know your thoughts. Anyway, um, more on this next time. Thanks very much and bye-bye. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.